going to start with a few announcements. Uh, the, if you are kind of um, trying to figure out what Clear Creek's about, and you've been here a few weeks, and you'd love to get to know more about us, or if you've been here for a while, but you don't really feel connected, you don't really feel plugged in, uh, after the 11 o'clock service next week, we will have a, um, a dinner with the staff. We'd love for anyone who would love to get to know more about Clear Creek to, or would love to get, um, get more information about Clear Creek to come and join us and just share a meal together after the 11 o'clock service on December 2nd. And you can go online and sign up for that um, on our website. Also on December 2nd, Casey and the Children's Ministry will be hosting uh, Jingle Jam. Jingle Jam is a gathering of, of families that get together and they learn about Jesus and about how he came to earth and they have a great time doing it. And so I'd really encourage you if you haven't to, uh, there's, a, there's a QR code out there. You can email Casey at clearcreekchurch.com. Love for you to, um, to be a part of that. Also... Last week, uh, we took up our Harvest Blessing offering, and uh, half of that stays here and goes for things, uh, improvements um, in, the, in the building, and then half of that stays and goes for, uh, or sorry, half of that goes overseas, and uh, we've already used some of that money to buy Taraku, a, a vehicle for his transportation. Uh, we use some of that mo- money for the food pack um, that will send meals to Haiti and other countries around the world, and then also that will go to help um, to help um, to help with Af- Afghanistan. Um, and so, so far, the total is sixty-one thousand five hundred dollars, and that's that is a real blessing. And we thank you for all those who have participated. If you were out of town and we're not able, you can still go give um, in the offering or online and just designate that for the Harvest Blessing offering. Um, We'd love for that to be included in the money that goes to further God's kingdom. Um, I'm sure there are other things I'm forgetting, um, but if you would, uh, would you go to God in prayer with me? God, I confess that that I don't feel confident right now. I feel frazzled. Um, and so I pray that, that what comes from the stage would not be from me, but from you. Um, God, I pray uh, that this is the central message that is just so beautiful in your design, and I pray that it wouldn't get lost. God, we pray that you would be glorified and that all people would be pointed toward you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So far we are, um, we are going, David is leading us through the book of Core 52. And so every week um, David will, will preach a sermon that, as, that has to do with a chapter we're covering. And then, then later that week we will go through and um, in our life groups... And we will discuss that chapter, and we will, in the, 
in the hope that we will all grow in our biblical understanding and and in growing with our biblical understanding that we will then be more obedient and be more of the people that God has called us to be in service to him. And so we're going through that right now. And this sermon is based off of chapter 12 about the Messiah in Core 52. And so I would encourage you later this week to check it out. I thought Mark Moore did a really good job of pointing out how Psalm 110 points to the Messiah. But if you would, let's start in, in Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day, no one dared ask him any more questions. You know, our expectations often determine how we evaluate things. I, w- I was struggling to try to figure out a good example of this, and so Alana and I went to Alana and I went to her her mother's house for Thanksgiving. And so Anita and Kevin were there, and Elena asked them the question of how, what is something that are, that when we evaluate it, the expectations determine what we thought about it. And they both, both Anita and Kevin, having taken separate trips to Disney World, said Disney World. Disney World is maybe the most well-marketed place on earth. And so they, they talked about how they had these great ambitions to have this awesome family vacation there. And they took their family there, and it was a lot of fun. But they said, once you get in the park, it's really hot. And food costs a ton. And kids, when they get hot and tired, aren't always the most agreeable human beings. (laughs) And they said what the expectations were of this wonderful family trip very well could have come out, but then reality sets in and circumstances take over. And oftentimes, if we have grandiose expectations going in, it can affect how we view what actually happens. So here, Jesus is having a multiple chapter conversation with the Pharisees. It starts in chapter 21, and it carries on into chapter 22. And often, they would come to Jesus, and they would ask him a question, most likely in the interest of trapping him, most likely in the interest of trying to trip him up so that people wouldn't follow him anymore, because Jesus had these huge crowds following after him. And this narrative took place the Tuesday before Jesus' death, so there's not a whole lot of time left. But this time, Jesus asked them a question. And the question they asked them is simply, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, God had promised David that there would be a great king who would come 
from his lineage and that he would restore Israel. And so they said, he's a son of David. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 110. And I I have to be honest, I don't understand all of the implications. I thought Mark Moore did a really good job breaking down some of the uh, historical and sociological implications of this passage. But Jesus asked them, okay, how can David refer to his son as Lord? Because in that time, there is no way that any father would be, any, any father would be considered less than their son. And so if David is prophesying about the Messiah and he refers to him as Lord, it could be a human who is exalted. It could also be a name for God. But there is no way that anyone in that day would have considered a son greater than their father. And so when Jesus is saying, Jesus asked them this question, they already know they're beaten. But in doing so, Jesus gets them to admit that there is something greater to the Messiah than who they want the Messiah to be. They have, Israel has been under captivity for between six and seven hundred years. They want, they want to be on their own. They want to live in the land and be free from, from the burden that they bear with their captors. And they looked forward to that day when somebody would come and release those chains. And then God sent Jesus as the Messiah. And he claimed to be the Son of God, which would fix all of the problems that they're having with Psalm 110. And they rejected him. And I think we see a little bit in John, Jesus testifies as to his work, and about the heart of the Pharisees. In John chapter 5, verses 36 through 40, it says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me, he, he himself has testified concerning me, You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, but you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, I would really encourage you. There is so much here. I would really encourage you to go back and to read the whole of John chapter 5, specifically 36 through 40. After, after this sermon, during this sermon, whenever you can. But here Jesus is talking to them. And in that day, the testimony of a person was considered invalid. So you had to have other people give testimony as to who you were. And so... John the Baptist came and gave testimony to Jesus, but they didn't really like that very much. So then Jesus says, 
I can do nothing without the Father. I go where the Father is leading. I do the works that have been laid out for me. And these are the very works that testify as to who, who I am and that the Father has sent me. The Messiah being the anointed one, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, you, you're ignoring the very things that show that I am exactly who I claim to be. And, and you study the scriptures, and you believe that in them you have eternal life. But your hearts are far from God, and you cannot see what God is doing. And I have spent a lot of time talking about how the and sermons and, and lessons with the youth about how the Pharisees just didn't get it and how they missed what Jesus is doing. And it's true, they really missed what Jesus was doing. And it's really easy to pile on the Pharisees, but I spent time looking at this today, at more than today, this week, and I can't help but feel like this is just human difficulty. We want what is best for us, and we want what makes us great. Jesus would go on to talk about in Matthew how the Pharisees would pile these burdens on people, but they weren't willing to lift a hand to help them. And they cared so deeply about studying the scripture to know God. Yet they were not living for God and their hearts were far from God. And because they did not, their hearts were far from God and because they could not see what God was doing, they missed the very one he sent. They missed the savior of the world. Because they had too much pride to be able to see what God is doing. Now, I would, I would love to believe that we are not capable of that, yet I feel like within my own life I see evidence to the contrary, that I want God to be who I want God to be. I don't want God to be who He is. I want God to be who I want Him to be. And sometimes I miss what God is doing, and I miss the very people that He has called me to because I want God to be about me when I need to be about God. And the Pharisees missed the very Savior of the world because their hearts were not in the right place and they wanted God to be about their advancement. And I would love it if we were never guilty of that, but sometimes it feels like we're really, really guilty of that. Jesus said that the works that I do testify that God has sent me. The people that Jesus went to were crippled, blind, broken down. People had been pushed out of society and told, you're not worthy. And that's who God went to. Because when we go to those people, we are always near the heart of God. And the very... Th Things that he did show that he has power over death. Three times before this, 
In John chapter 5, Jesus claims to have power in resurrection and also to have power in judgment. But Jesus wept next to the sister of the man he raised from the dead. Jesus came as the Savior of all of mankind. But we need to make sure that we align ourselves with the heart of God so that we don't miss why he came. Jesus, we will be forever grateful that Jesus came and died for us. But Jesus came for so much more than that. He came to release the chains of the broken. He came to to lift us out of sin and bondage and to offer us relationship with the Father and to be able to enter into the work of God, to be able to join in the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Psalm 110 is the most quoted prophecy about the Messiah in the New Testament. I hope that you will join me in reading what Peter had to say about Psalm 110 and about Jesus. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that your patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out What you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this that he has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom our God will call. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 110. Jesus is both God and man. John started his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came that we might be able to be saved from our captivity. Jesus came so that all people might be able to be restored from God.
might be able to restore to God. He is the Holy One, the Chosen that God sent to make a way back to Him. He is the one, he's the only way back to God. And it is in him that we find a life. Please don't miss the opportunity to find life in Jesus because we want to, God to be about us in our way. Jesus came so that we might know him and he is the only way to God. Let's pray.